BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. My mother discovered that my father, he had been a sperm donor and that we had all these siblings because he had called her one afternoon on Valentine's Day and said, I have a Valentine's Day surprise for you. Go get the New York Times. And she went to the New York Times, uh, to the the local newsstand and picked up the paper. And there on the cover of the Sunday Times was a picture of my dad with two girls that looked just like me and my sister. Hmm. So that is how my mother discovered it. And then she vowed never to tell us because we'd already had a very unconventional and some would say, you know, dysfunctional upbringing with her. She had alcoholism and lots of other quirks that um, led us to have a very colorful life. And that's a big part of the story. But she vowed never to tell us. And the only reason she did eventually tell us two years later was because she discovered that I was unknowingly dating my brother. Welcome to the True Fiction Project a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to The True Fiction Project. I'm your host, Renita Hora. Today, I have an author on the show with me. Her name is Krista Bilton, and I am going to talk with her about her upcoming memoir. It's called Normal Family on Truth, Love, and How I Met My 35 Siblings. 35 siblings. My goodness. Krista, so great to have you on the show. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Diving right into it, I mean, the title of your book itself, 35 Siblings, I mean, I can barely just get my head wrapped around the fact that I have two, and we have plenty (laughs) of dysfunction (laughs) to go around. Uh, What is this book about? How do you have 35 siblings? Yeah, so the, you know, the truth is, I probably have over 100. But those are the ones that we know of as of today. So basically, I found out in my mid 20s, that my father who had struggled with homelessness and mental illness and drug addiction, had secretly spent the 10 years after I was born being one of the most prolific sperm donors at the California cryobank. Prolific. So it turned out, <laughs> yeah, you have your own he, village he, <laughs> more than that. <laughs> so I find out about a new uh, sibling, you know, once every few months um, via some of those DNA testing sites. So 
Literally, this is a discovery that happens once every few months. It's it's like back pay from royalties. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, they're definitely, you know, there's usually a bump around the holidays. I think that Ancestry and 23andMe put out a lot of sales at that time. So, <laughs> so you know, sometimes we have a bump around the holidays. Yeah, it's quite fascinating because I knew my father growing up, but most of these kids didn't know they even had a sperm donor because, um, you know, in most cases, the populations that were using sperm donors in the 80s and early 90s were heterosexual couples where the man was infertile. So a lot of these kids grew up just thinking that the dad they were raised by was their father. So it's a big surprise to a lot of those people. And so how did this come about in the sense, how did you find out about it? Was it all literally through the advent of 23andMe and your discoveries from there? It wasn't. Well, so to back up for a little backstory, my mom was a lesbian uh, in the 1980s who really wanted to start a family. It, It was pretty rare back then. She didn't have a single friend who had had kids. And so she went on what she would call a manhunt for a father figure for her kids. And my father walked into a hair salon and was the most handsome man she'd ever seen. So she asked him, to lunch and and uh, offered to pay him to father her child. So that was the backstory of how I came into the world. And then she felt guilty not giving us, me and my, I have a little sister who's also um, 100% biological, but um, she felt guilty not giving us a father figure. So she then paid him to play the role of dad. And so I just grew up mm-hmm. knowing him as my quirky father. Um, and... But when she had taken him to the California cryobank to get tested for STDs, she had accidentally introduced him to a career. Um, so he, he <laughs> so he proceeded to donate three times a week uh, for 10 years while being in our lives separately and not telling us about this. So, so we discovered, or rather my mother discovered that he had been a sperm donor um, and that we had all these siblings uh, because he had called her one afternoon Uh, on Valentine's Day and said, I have a Valentine's Day surprise for you. Go get the New York Times. And she went to the New York Times, uh, to the the local newsstand and picked up the paper. And there on the cover of the Sunday Times was a picture of my dad with two girls that looked just like me and my sister. And he was uh, taking the brave step, they said, of being the first anonymous sperm donor to uh, end his anonymity. Hmm. So that is how my mother discovered it. And then she vowed never to tell us because we'd already had a very unconventional and some would say, you know, dysfunctional upbringing with her. She had alcoholism and, you know, lots of other, uh, you know, quirks that um, led us to have a very colorful life. And that's, you know, a big part of the story. But she vowed never to tell us. And the only reason she did eventually tell us two years later was because she discovered that I was unknowingly dating my brother. Oh, my goodness, Krista. (laughs) (laughs) So there's lots here. Truth is is sometimes stranger than fiction, I think. (laughs) Very strange. So this puts a whole new spin on the idea of blame it on mom, which is something I I know a bunch of us can identify with. So you're in your mid-20s at this point and you're dating your brother accidentally. Please, please tell us about that. I mean, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so... um, I mean, it's a long story that I won't get into about how my mother discovered that fact, but I will tell you that um, the psychological 
ramifications of being told that you're um, possibly sleeping with your biological half-sibling is really a trip. (laughs) Um, And, you know, there was a whole complication about me not wanting to then be the bearer of this news to him, who thought he was his father's son, and... um, you know, and, and also just looking at the person and not wanting to tell them the secret, but also wondering, are they your brother? And, you know, staring at their physical features and trying to discern if it could be true. I mean, it's it's surreal, to say the least, and also disturbing. So how does this, it has to be disturbing. I mean, I, I full well will try to understand that not having, not having been in the position myself, not as far as I know, at least. Uh, your father began to donate sperm to the California cryobank. But does that imply that all of his children, his biological children that came out of that exercise, a series of exercises, were then locally concentrated in one geography? I mean... Obviously, no, that's that's the wild part. We have siblings all over the country. We, we have yet to have an international sibling. But at that time, the California Cryobank was the only sperm bank that was direct shipping sperm to people's houses. So it went, you know, his sperm went all over. It's it's completely random that that it would be someone, you know, that was a few mm-hmm. blocks from my house. <laughs> But it's also, I think it brings up an interesting point about the fact that sperm banks are completely unregulated. So the fact that my father could donate as often as he did with no real consideration to how many children there would ultimately be, you know, that's a really interesting perspective. It's still completely unregulated today. It's just like the Wild West back in the 80s and 90s. It's regulated in other countries. Right. Now, when you discovered this, what was the first thing, if you can remember, that went through your head? And what were your reactions? Like, what were you thinking? You know, it was a lot for me to grapple with at that time, because I had, you know, again, the the book is really the story of my upbringing with my mother. But my conception of what family meant changed a lot growing up, because she had many girlfriends. And sometimes these women would move in with us for years at a time and be, you know, turn into effectively our second mom. And sometimes they had kids of their own who would become my brothers and sisters, even though they were not biologically related to me. And, you know, we had a lot of, my mom also was an alcoholic. So we had times when she was sober and times when she was using, we were also, so we just had Mm -hmm. so much change in our life. And one of the things that was, you know, ever changing was this idea of family. So I think by the time this came into my life, it was, it was completely overwhelming because I just, how, you know, were these my brothers and sisters? Does biology make a family? These were, you know, especially in the context in which I'd grown up, really complex questions. So it actually took me 10 years from finding out about the biological siblings to the point where I wanted anything to do with them. I I just sort of closed the, the book on this part of my life and pretended it didn't exist. And then some really wild, wild circumstances made me shift my my perspective on all that and not see it in such a dark light. And now I have really beautiful relationships with some of the siblings. So who do you have relationships with? Like which siblings? Can you give us one or two examples? And yes, obviously they were favorably disposed to the idea of finding this random sibling somehow also. Right. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's so interesting because every every single sibling that, you know, that that I've known of or new ones that come up, everyone comes in with so much of their own, you know, history that affects, I think, how they see this extended biological family. And so some people, um, you know, many um, are shocked and there's a, there's a process of grieving, thinking that they, you know, were biologically related to their father and then realizing they had, you know, half of them they hadn't realized. You know, it's a, it's a very interesting psychological experience hearing them talking about making this discovery and then looking in the mirror and seeing a different face and suddenly hmm. understanding parts of themselves that they'd never connected to the family they were raised in and how in many ways that was incredibly validating because, you know, as much as my father has some stuff that's concerning, like mental mental health stuff, you know, he's some people, you know, he's a homeless schizophrenic. So that that comes with a, sort of a, a heaviness to it. Um, and many of the siblings do struggle with mental health stuff. But there are other things, you know, there's many are very artistic and free spirited and things that in some cases they hadn't, you know, those weren't attributes in their family of origin. So there's a really interesting piece about nature and nurture that comes up when you start to see all these different siblings that you have so much in common with, even though you had completely different upbringings. We have siblings that were that were raised incredibly wealthy, incredibly poor in big cities and small rural communities with gay parents, with single parents, with, you know, the normal nuclear family. So it's um, it's a fascinating nature nurture story. So back to your question about which siblings I wound up having a close relationship to, the, the person that sort of made me have a more positive spin on the whole thing was this, this lovely sibling named Jennifer. And what happened was I had gone to a tiny art school in Italy that no one has ever heard of for, you know, classical painting. And um, it's basically 30 kids a year go to this school from around the world. It's, it's nothing any of my friends had ever heard of. And two years after me, uh, one of my sisters had also gone to this school. And we had all the same friends in common. And it's just such an obscure interest. And to think that biology could impact such a such an obscure thing and and direction, you know, life path direction is just wild. So when she contacted me via 23andMe, and she was just so excited, she said, you know, I'm I'm a single child, I've always wanted a sister. This is the most, you know, I led this quite ordinary life. I've never, this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. And I had always seen it as this deep, dark thing. And I think that seeing her have this light, enthusiastic approach to it just made me realize that my attitude was a choice and I could, I could change it at any moment. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's sort of part of the story. How fascinating to come up with that kind of information just randomly I mean, you and your sister had made exactly the same choices in life without even knowing each other. With completely different upbringings. With completely different upbringings. My goodness. Have you had or thought about having a family reunion in person with all yes, these we've different done it. So Oh, the you've book done starts it. With, mm-hmm, the book starts with uh, me opening the door to my house and welcoming a couple dozen of the the siblings to come for the weekend where I'm meeting most of them for the first time. And then it goes back in time. I mean, it's incredibly wild. You know, these are all strangers that, you know, other than being connected by biology, there's these, you know, their lives have not intersected in yours in any way. And then 
suddenly there's this psychology of them being your siblings in some way. And what does that mean? And are they your siblings? And the similarities are truly wild, truly wild. You know, things like all of us have, you know, are, are spacey in a really humorous way. We, I think the first night we all went to a restaurant and the waiter came running after us with several people's keys and cell phones because we'd all left them behind. You know, just so many things. <laughs> Sibling absent-mindedness just manifesting in the same way for all of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's truly wild. Was your dad there at the My reunion? dad was not there. My, I have he a was... complex relationship with my father, yeah. but um, As so do the others, I'm sure. As do the others, yeah. There are not, there are not many that have relationships with him, but the, a, f a few, it's very difficult. You know, he does, he's, he struggles with his mental health and it, it makes being close to him very difficult, but, mm -hmm. um, but I love him and, you know, I have compassion for his situation. I think a big part of the book is, is trying to understand our, our parents' own traumas and upbringings and struggles and, um, you know, acceptance of those and, and how that informs our own, you know, the way we have children or the way we live our lives and how we, we break free from maybe some of that generational stuff. Yes, indeed. Krista, have you talked with your dad about this and what is his view on this? That might be <laughs> um, a very wide question. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, uh, yes, I interviewed him extensively for the book as well as my mother and, and the sister I grew up with and, and lots of others. Um, so I think he was excited at the idea that I was writing it. I have not given him the finished book. I wonder if he will, will ever read it. Um, just cause he's not quite like, yeah, I, I don't know that he will ever read the book, but, um, mm -hmm. and I don't know that he has that sort of introspective quality that would read pieces of it and, you know, I'll be very curious how that evolves, but, but I haven't given him a, a finished copy of the book. Right. And do you have a nuclear family now? And I wonder, what do they think about all of this? I do. I have um, a, a lovely husband who's, who's wonderful. He's a writer as well. And um, two young children, aged five and six. And yeah, I wrote the book when my littlest one was, was very little. And part of it, I think, was just making sense of it so that I could go into parenthood myself and, mm -hmm. you know, in a way that was clear of it, a lot of it. But then also um, I wrote it for other people who had, you know, you mentioned that you, you had your own dysfunction. I think every family does. And I think it's sort of this universal journey to not repeat that and also to understand it. Absolutely. If it could ever be understood. I mean, the whole idea of, you know, we laugh about things like Brady Bunch and modern family, but this is something else. <laughs> but I'm very keen to read it because I think you're right. It, it, you know, any kind of understanding of your own family genetics, the way people behave or, you know, their misbehavior, even it, it, it just helps, you know, put perspective on your own because the, you're right. The dysfunction I think exists in every family to some extent. <laughs> totally. No, I think that it's a very common thing to feel like there's something that's not quite normal about your family. And, you know, I love I love memoirs about dysfunctional families just because I relate to so much of them. And so, you know, even though this is a wild, surreal story with the whole 
extended family aspect of it. I think, I think there are so many universal themes that other people will get something out of. Absolutely. Now, your book is obviously, it's a memoir, it's nonfiction. The premise of the True Fiction Project is to really give this audio interview out to one of our fiction writers who will listen to it and pick up something that inspires them and create you know, a fiction piece around that. If I had to ask you, Krista, to give that writer a writing prompt, what mm. might it be? I think that there's a lot of really interesting material to be gleaned about maybe being in love with the man you realize is your brother. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some really good stuff there. Um, yes, absolutely. Do you talk about that in the book? Uh, yes, that, that gets a short, uh, that's a short section of the book, but yes. Thankfully, I wasn't okay. deeply in love with him, but, but I did like him quite a bit. <laughs> that would have confused things much more. <laughs> yes, my gosh, that would, that's just, I mean, there's so much there. That's just so much fodder, I think. So tell us more about the book. When does it come out? Where can we get copies? It will be sold uh, wherever books are sold on July 12th. You know, we haven't figured out the in-person events yet with signings, but name a place and I'll be there. I'm. This was a, a labor of love writing this book, and it took me many, many years and fits and starts. And so I, I'm really proud of it and excited to share it with people. So, you know, please, please buy a copy. I, I, I uh, And I can't wait to have discussions around it. Well, Krista, I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. This sounds like something that I want to devour, you know, binge read over a weekend or maybe a, just a couple of days. So thank you so much for being a guest on the True Fiction Project. That is Krista Bilton. And her upcoming memoir is called Normal Family on Truth, Love, and How I Met My 35 Siblings. Thank you, Krista. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. Cut from the Same Cloth, a story by Michael Kobzik from New Hampshire, narrated by Regina Williams. My name is Clara Johnson, and I'm in a relationship with a man I love. On a balmy evening in New York City, I waited with my boyfriend, Anthony McFadden. We were going to meet my parents at Don Flamingo, a four-star Mediterranean restaurant. Have you ever been to this restaurant? I asked Anthony. No, Anthony said. I just read they have a good steak. You know I'm a vegan, I said with a frown. So am I, Anthony said with a smile just one of the many things we have in common. As we waited, we flicked through our Instagram feeds, not quite together, yet not quite separately. My feed was full of women in summer colors, in exotic locations I wished I could be. Yet here I was, in the middle of my sophomore year, at the Fashion Institute. Black is back in style, I see, said Anthony, peeking his head over. For girls, sure, I said. For guys, it's red and orange. I hate both colors, Anthony sighed. For me, it's always mauve and maroon. He turned to face me and kissed me on the lips. Just then, my parents arrived. 
we settled in at our table in the middle of the restaurant, surrounded by people in clothes that were totally inappropriate for the venue. I wrinkled my nose at a man dressed in a polo and sneakers at a nearby table. What's wrong? asked Dad. Oh, nothing. Just being judgmental, I said with a snort. The guy over there, Anthony pointed, is wearing a necktie t-shirt. The two of us laughed together. Mom and Dad glanced at each other but didn't laugh. Your father has said exactly that, in exactly those words, so many times, Mom remarked. You two seem well coordinated. Of course, I said with a smile. I came up with it. We all like the same colors, Anthony said. Mauve, maroon, you name it. Wisteria was the color of Clara's bedroom, Mom said. That's a color only a painter would know, Anthony responded. She happens to be one, Dad interjected. Classically trained, Anthony rolled his eyes. Nobody in my family knows anything about painting, he said. Only cows, sheep, and good leather boots. Wyoming, huh, Dad said, rubbing his chin. That's quite far from New York. I noticed that Dad had become shifty-eyed, avoiding my eyes and staring at Anthony's. I pretended not to notice and just focus on the food, but it became too hard to ignore. Anthony chewed on his kale, meeting Dad's stare at least once. Is something wrong, sir? He asked. No, Dad said. Yes, you seem familiar. I winced at Dad before looking back at Anthony. It feels like we're kindred spirits, I said with a smile, trying to restore the mood of the table, like we could have been friends growing up. But we found each other now, and that's what's important. And what's really important is this, Anthony said, bringing out his cell phone. He showed the table a classy-looking logo with loopy typography. Andy and Clara, he said. It's our new business venture, guys and girls formal wear. Classy, but with a modern twist, you know? Mom rolled her eyes as Dad remained silent. It's something I've wanted to do for a while, Clara said, and now... I found the perfect person to do it with. If I may ask, Dad interjected, are you an only child, Anthony? Yeah, Anthony said, holding his breath. Why? You have the same eye color as my Clara. You said you were from Wyoming? Would it happen to be ball? Anthony's eyes widened. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm from there. The one with the little laundromat on the corner? The one that looks like it's from the 70s? Anthony didn't respond. The silence hung in the air for a moment. I gulped, not sure what to say. <laughs> yeah, Anthony laughed. Ball is real old-fashioned. Ain't that the laundromat with the sperm bank next door? Dad asked. I stared at my father with Anthony. Look, Anthony said, Ball is a nice place, but I'm glad to be here with Clara. He leaned over to kiss me. Just then, Dad smashed his plate on the table. No, he shouted. <laughs> what are you doing? I said, laughing nervously. Don't be so old school, Dad. PDA is fine. You don't understand, Dad said, shaking his head. More awkward silence. This dinner was getting less appetizing by the second. I was annoyed now. What the heck is happening, Dad? I used to live in Ball a few months after I met your mother, Dad said, folding his hands. Things weren't as easy for me back then. Working at the little insurance company there... I really needed the rent, and I was saving up for our wedding. So I made a donation to that local bank. What? I shouted. What? Anthony echoed. I got up from the table, staring at my parents and Anthony. 
Mom's lip trembled as she stared at Anthony. You are not saying what I think you're saying, Mom said. Her forehead crumpled into the biggest frown I had ever seen. Dad just shrugged. Wait, are you saying Anthony's my brother? I gasped. I'm saying he might be, Dad replied, his voice shrinking. Ew! I screamed. Anthony sat frozen in shock. I thought you only did that once, Mom said, suddenly incensed. Yes, once a month, for three months, to save up for our wedding. So you made it a habit? Nancy. Mom tossed her glass of water into Dad's face. Sopping wet, my father got up and stared into Anthony's eyes. Don't you lie another hand on my daughter, he said with a grave voice. Yeah, whatever. Dad? Anthony replied, confused. I didn't remember much of the next couple of minutes. I remember wine on my dress, glass shattering, and lots of shouting and finger pointing. Soon, I found myself outside of the restaurant, sitting on the steps. Clara, Anthony said, sitting down with me. Go away, I said, burying my face in my hands. I knew it was too good to be true, I sobbed. This makes me feel so awful. I admit I didn't expect it either, Anthony sighed. But come on, this isn't the Clara I know. We can make the best out of this. We can't keep dating. That's weird. Not what I meant, Anthony said, nervously chuckling. I meant we can still work together, even if your parents think it's weird. I looked up at Anthony and straightened to his eyes. I saw months of courtship, laughter, and time spent together with him. He extended his hand to me. Instead of lovers, why not stay partners? Let's make the most of it. I sniffled, wiping my tears from my face. As long as we keep it vegan, I said. Deal? Anthony smiled at me. Deal, he said. My name is Clara Johnson, and I'm still in a relationship with a man I love. Here at the True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to the True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 